Acts chapter 12, 1 to 25, says this. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread, and when he had, de- when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night Peter was sleeping in between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street. And immediately the angel left them. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose name was uh, Mark, where many, other, uh, where many gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them, with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of, out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when the day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent, the, uh, spent time there. Now Herod was angry, and the people of Tyre and Sidon, uh, with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because of their food, because their food depended, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, "The voice of a god, and not of a man." Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give, uh, give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, uh, whose other name was Mark. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've been so faithful to provide it to us, Lord, to pass it down through generations, Lord, that manuscript upon manuscript was carefully kept, that we might hold copies of this Bible in our own language, in our hands, and that we might study it and understand it better, that it might equip us and strengthen us for our walk with the Lord. We pray that in this time your Holy Spirit would speak to each of us, 
exactly what we need to hear, Lord, that you would be uh, encouraging us and strengthening us with your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so, um, calling this message uh, Level Up, and uh, I don't know if you've played video games recently or like an app on your phone, one of those app games, you know. Uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the phone apps have this deal where like there's a million levels and your goal is to like, you know, break all the stars in, in a certain order. And then once you do that, you get to level up to another level and, and you just level up and level up. You keep leveling up and they keep creating more levels and you have to actually buy more stuff to get more levels. And, you know, leveling up is a big part of gaming culture, okay? Um, and so um, what we see today is that uh, there's actually some leveling up going on or being attempted within our passage tonight. We see two groups, the church and the world, and what we'll see throughout the passage is that uh, the one who is using their power and force doesn't achieve leveling up. They never level up. They actually go backwards. And the one who's fighting on a different plane, the church, they're the ones that are advancing, not in the way the world advances, but in another way. They're leveling up. They're going forward in their faith. They're, they're being encouraged and strengthened. So we're going to walk through our passage uh, first, and then I want to tell you a few things uh, from Romans 6.23 that are found in this passage. So that's going to be kind of our outline as we go through this. But what we're going to see is that uh, we've got, again, the church at odds with the world. And that's sort of the case in the book of Acts. It's the story about how the church is advancing despite significant persecution from those around, around it. Um, and what we see today is the answer to this question, who's going to level up in this text and who's going to be stuck, right? And we see, what we'll find out is that those of the world are going to be stuck in the same pattern and those in the church are going to be advancing with the message that God has given them. So first, let's walk through the passage and just get an idea of what exactly we just read, what's happening here. So there's a few sort of uh, sections of this. First, and I've, and I've put a, just a brief outline for, uh, for a little bit of structure for us. The first is uh, verses 1 to 5, a disciple is killed. Okay, we start off seeing James, uh, the, one of the 12 disciples. He is actually murdered for his faith, martyred for his faith. Second, we'll see a disciple freed. And that's that story that we read of Peter being rescued by an angel uh, from prison. So a disciple killed, a disciple freed. And then finally we see this uh, small vignette of, uh, of the powerful, that is Herod, uh, being killed, being actually eaten by worms, which is disgusting, but apparently it wasn't uncommon. Uh, it's an intestinal disorder that would actually occur in, in this time. And so uh, it was, you know, the Lord struck him and he had this intestinal disease that, that took him down. Uh, so we see at the very end that Herod, this one that was trying to squelch the church, dies. And the church, we have this phrase from Luke, it says, and the church advances and multiplies. So that's sort of our basic outline. I'm going to walk through those sections with us uh, uh, real quick before we move forward. So the first, a disciple killed. You see in uh, the very first verse that we meet these, the, uh, this man named Herod. And, and if you've studied uh, the New Testament much, you've, been, uh, you've seen Herod's name over and over. And you might think that like, this is the same Herod, but actually there is Herod after Herod after Herod. There are a lot of Herods, okay? It's actually called the Herodian dynasty. And, uh, and so uh, Herod, this Herod is the third Herod, uh, third major Herod that we encounter in the biblical text. Uh, the first is Herod the Great, okay? And Herod the Great tries to kill Jesus when he's a baby. He learns that 
uh, Jesus is going to be born, that the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem, and he actually seeks to kill all the firstborn children in that city, okay? Jesus is spared. Um, so that's the first Herod. That's Herod the Great. Uh, the second Herod that we hear a lot about is Herod Antipas, and that's the Herod who uh, sort of conspired with Pilate uh, in, in the uh, crucifixion of Jesus, okay? So he also tries to kill the Messiah, okay? He tries to kill Jesus. And, uh, and though, he, though the Lord is crucified, obviously we know that he raises from the dead three days, so he fails at his attempt. And now this is the third Herod. Uh, this is King Herod, and uh, King Herod is the grandson of Herod the Great and the nephew of Herod Antipas, uh, who is the one who uh, had, you know, was part in, in crucifying Christ. So a little bit of Herodian uh, history for you. Um, so the Herods have been trying to kill, uh, trying to protect their own uh, for a long time. Second, we see this, that, that James, one of the disciples, is martyred. In verse 2, we see uh, Herod kills James by the, uh, by the sword, and what he sees is that that pleases the Jews. And Herod's role here is that he's, he's sort of an under-governor of the empire of Rome. Okay, so Rome is over the whole thing, and Herod is one that is governing the Israel, uh, uh, the Jewish territories. And so um, he sees that the Jews are being pleased, and so he wants to continue to keep them happy. It's his basic role is to make sure that there's no riot in these conquered territories. So Herod is doing that. He's just trying to make sure, keep, keep the, the people that are control, in control, maintain the status quo. That's Herod's purpose. And he sees James, the killing of James pleases most of the people, so he seeks another disciple. He seeks Peter uh, to try and kill him as well. Um, but what we see is that uh, when he's trying to, uh, when, he, when he apprehends Peter, it's actually during a Jewish festival, the festival of un- unleavened bread and, uh, and the Passover. And so, uh, so it, by Jewish law, you cannot have a trial or execute a man during one of these feasts. And so Peter then is now put in jail. And if you've been following Acts much with us, He's been put in jail now for the third time, okay? So this is the third time that Peter's been apprehended for preaching the gospel, for being a follower of Jesus. So Peter probably at this point is like, yeah, I'm rested again. Either I'll be okay or I won't. You know, he's, he's resting in the Lord's hands here. So uh, first we see uh, that, that a disciple is killed, and now Peter is held in jail. Uh, he's waiting execution uh, that, uh, you know, after the Passover um, uh, after the Passover festival uh, ends, uh, after the, sorry, the Feast of Unleavened Bread uh, concludes. So that's the first section that we see, that James is killed and, and Herod is now on, on a, a mission to continue to appease the Jews. Next we see that, uh, that uh, following the pattern of, of the Lord's faithfulness and favor upon Peter, is that Peter is freed from prison. So we see this, uh, this story of, of Peter being freed from prison. Uh, first we see that he's uh, bound in just an excessive manner. Verse 6, it says this, Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping, betwe- so he's sleeping between two soldiers. He's bound with two chains, and there's sentries at the door guarding the prison. Okay, so they've gotten an idea that uh, maybe it's a good idea to get, get Peter well secured because we know that he's escaped our hands twice in the past. So to have him chained by two guys is double what they would normally do. Usually you would 
chain him to one man. Uh, he, they've chained him to two men, and they're actually rotating uh, watch over him through the night to make sure that no one falls asleep or whatever. Uh, so he is excessively bound, okay? They're doing above and beyond what they would normally do to make sure that Peter does not escape because Herod wants to execute him, wants to bring, you know, appease the Jews even further uh, by, by taking uh, Peter out as well. So, uh, so Peter is bound, and what do we see next? We see that uh, the angel of the Lord comes and rescues Peter. And this is amazing because, uh, I don't know about you, but if I'm in prison and I know that at, at the end of the week, the sentence for me is death, I'm probably not going to do a lot of sleeping. But Peter here is just, he's passed out asleep. He's just sleeping like a baby, uh, totally out. And uh, we see this, that an angel comes to him and it says, uh, he struck Peter on the side and woke him up saying, get up quickly. And the chains fall off his hand. And the angel says to him, dress yourself, put on your sandals. And Peter does so. And so the angel over and over is giving Peter basic instructions. Well, Peter actually thinks that he's in a trance. He thinks he's having, he thinks this is part of his dream. Okay. And so the angel just continues to tell him what to do. And it says, uh, you know, Peter follows him out. He did not know what was being done to him was real, but that he, he thought he was seeing a vision, verse 9. And when he passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading to the city. The gate opens on its own for them, and they go out onto the street. And then the angel leaves them, and Peter realizes at that moment when the angel leaves them, I'm not dreaming. <laughs> I have been busted out of prison by the Lord again. An angel has come and saved me. And so, uh, so Peter is rescued by the hand of the Lord. And uh, yeah, we see him, we see him released. It's, uh, just amazing. And so Peter does uh, quickly goes to the church. He uh, goes and finds the church. And, and this is just a comical passage to me. I, when you read this, you just have to laugh at what, what is happening here. So Peter goes to the church and he says, he's knocking on the door. You know, it's the middle of the night, knocking on the door. And apparently when you knock on the door, it's sort of customary to like yell as well to say, hey, I'm here. It's Peter, you know, uh, or whatever. And so we wouldn't normally do that here. We just ring the doorbell and that's probably enough to get people's attention. But they have knock on the door and then say, you know, proclaim your, you know, who you are. It's Peter, whatever. And so uh, a girl named Rhoda, which I love, you know, Rhoda, that's a great Great name, Mary Tyler Moore's, you know, roommate. Anybody? Okay, so, um, uh, so Peter is there, and uh, he's saying, you know, I'm here. And Rhoda is so full of joy; she knows that this is Peter that she doesn't open the door, and she runs back and tells people that it's that it's Peter. And they're like, No, no, it's not Peter. But could you imagine? You know, it's Peter. He's on the like he is like right there from you, and and you don't open the door. You're so full of joy that it's Peter that you run back. And, and anyway, so, so it's right there. Um, and they don't believe him. They actually say it's his angel. They, they think that it's his angel. This is amazing to me because we see earlier in the passage that while Peter is in prison, in verse 5 it says, earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. They're praying. You know, can you imagine their prayers? I mean, Peter's been busted out twice already. You know, maybe they've resigned to the fact that he's going to be killed. You know, he's going to be uh, martyred just like James. But um, they've so resigned to the fact that this is, you know, maybe this is Peter's angel, you know, is what they think. Um, but the Lord has more for them. He, he has more for Peter to do. And so he, he saves him 
uh, and it actually is Peter. So Peter continues knocking, finally, finally convinces them that he is physically there, and, uh, and they open it to him, and, and he says, hey, uh, tell these things to James and the brothers, and Peter uh, goes off and, and continues to, uh, uh, to preach the gospel elsewhere. So um, there's a key to knowing kind of what that, that, his, that Peter's execution or Peter's sentence was going to be death. Okay, we see that in, the, in 18 and 19 uh, because what happens is uh, finally the Roman guards, everyone wakes up, they look around, hey, our prisoner, Peter's not here again. Um, and what happens is that those who were in charge of guarding him are beheaded. They're executed. Okay? And so that's why we know that Peter was, that was Peter's, uh, that was going to be Peter's penalty because uh, when you don't hold your charge, what happens is that you actually receive the sentence of the person you were supposed to be guarding. And so both these men had their heads chopped off, uh, which leads us to understand even greater that that's what Peter had coming for him was, was the death penalty. Um, so uh, so uh, we see that these men are beheaded. Peter is freed. Uh, even though they were trying to trying to crush him, trying to uh, come after him as well. So first we see that one disciple is killed. Next we see one disciple is freed. And finally we see this, just this continuing trajectory that those who are powerful in the world are failing against uh, as they come against the church and that the church is advancing in its message. So we see that in verses uh, uh in verses 18 to 24, as we see, you know, we see the jailers executed, and then we see Herod uh, going on to sort of a, a, another uh, task on his list, right? He goes down to Tyre and Sidon, a different region, and uh, this is a region that, uh, that actually depends on Herod for food, okay? So they, they're depending on Herod for food, and, uh, and, and they don't really have a good relationship, okay? Uh, Herod doesn't like Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon don't really like like Herod, uh, so they they uh, they are able to persuade to get uh, time with Herod while he's there. Okay, is what happens. And so, uh, as we see in verse twenty, it says, "Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord and were able to persuade Herod's uh, Herod's assistant there, Blastus, which is a cool name as well, Blastus Rhoda. I mean, we're just this is awesome. Um, and they ask for peace. Okay, uh, they ask for peace because they want. They need, they need his support. They actually physically need food and aid from Herod. And so, uh, so they're seeking to negotiate there. Well, while Herod is there and while he's in Tyre and Sidon, he takes the opportunity to give what's called an oration, a speech, you know, to, you know, just like you, you have a, a political campaign in our country. You're sort of stumping around the country and giving your spiel. And this is how great I am. And this is how I will solve these things or whatever. Uh, so that's sort of what Herod was doing without any democracy behind it. Just sort of, I am the king and I'm, I am awesome, you know, sort of a thing. And so he's giving this great oration. And uh, I, I, I think you can imagine the scene. The people are depending upon Herod's food. And Herod is puffing himself up from a speech. And so what are the people going to do? Are they going to boo him? No, no, they're going to they're gonna just give him what he wants. You know, Brown knows him as much as possible. Give him praise. Uh, so that's exactly what happens. Herod puts on his royal robes, which were supposed, supposedly like these silver glowing, like really awesome, uh, awesome robes. Josephus actually records this event as well. So we have some additional detail about it. So supposedly these robes are very ornate. Um, so he goes and, uh, and, pre- and, and shares this oration before these people. And the people shout 
at this oration, this speech, and they say this, the voice of a God and not of a man. And what happens next? Like we read, it says, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Herod was puffed up with pride in himself. He had had this interaction with the church. He'd been trying to squelch the church. The Lord was actually, you know, if you think about it, the Lord was giving him grace, you know, to see Peter prevailing over and over again. He was seeing the power of the church advancing, and he had a chance to, uh, to respond to that and to respond appropriately. But instead, he goes on doing as he's done before, preserving himself, preserving his own name, puffing himself up, just like his uncle before him, just like his grandfather before him. Self-preservation, self-interest was their game. It's the same for this Herod as well. And so the Lord says enough, and the angel Lord comes, strikes him down, and he has this crazy intestinal disease take him over. Um, so we see that the powerful who are trying to squelch the church for their own purposes, they're the ones failing and we see the church advancing, verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Luke simply, just a great, uh, a great author, tells a wonderful story. And at the end says, this beautiful story of, of Peter being saved out of uh, terrible circumstances and Herod falling by the wayside and simply states, and the word of God increased and multiplied. So what do we learn from this? What's, what's the point here? There's three things that I think we learn from Acts 12, um, learn about Acts 12 from uh, Romans 6.23. We see these three things uh, within the text today, today. First, we see this. Well, Romans 6.23 says this. The text is there on the, on the back for you. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.23. And I think that verse speaks, speaks a tremendous word over Acts chapter 12. First, for the wages of sin is death. And we look at the Herods and the story of the Herods that we've just talked about, and it's so sad that, um, that with Herod the Great, he learns of the Messiah coming. And as a person that's associated with Israel, the, the one thing that you should hope for the most is that the Messiah would come. But Herod the Great is so caught up in preserving his own status quo and in his own world and his own control and power that he attempts to kill the Messiah. His priorities are totally shifted. He's, he's only thinking about what will continue the status quo, continue my own comfort, continue my own goals. He doesn't see that what the Messiah is bringing is the best thing. He thinks the Messiah is a a political threat to his authority, and he's going to try and squelch it. What foolishness even to come against the the very plan of God. What what pride to say that the Messiah who is to come, who has been prophesied for thousands of years, he is here, and now I'm just going to try and kill him. That's, That's the pride with which Herod was puffed up. And the same is true for Herod, his, his son, Herod Antipas. We see it in his son. This man of God who's been preaching and doing wonders throughout your country, who's been garnering amazing crowds and healing people and freeing them from affliction, casting out devils, 
And you see this man who's doing such great works in preaching love and grace to the people. And you feel threatened. This is the Messiah. And you seek again your own, your own protection of your authority and try and squelch the Messiah. And think you can squelch the power of the Messiah. So Herod, his, his son, does the same thing and tries to kill Jesus. But he's raised from the dead. He conquers death. And then finally, we see this last attempt by Herod, and he's still coming after Jesus against Christ's church, against the very body of Christ in the church, trying to kill the leader of the church, Peter. And again, his attempt fails. What is the root of that? It's that first phrase in in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. You're just perpetuating the motion of a sin cycle over and over. You're casting your, your, uh, your pearls before pigs. You're, just, you're, you're, you're pursuing things that will just turn to dust. You're stuck in the materialistic cycle of our world of self-preservation and self-comforting. So the Herods continue to do that, and we do the same thing. We think only of ourselves, and when we do that, we get stuck just like the Herods. We feed this sin nature and that sin nature just results in death inside of us. We have to cast it out. We have to, we have to um, put it aside and move forward with what God has given us in Christ. So, so first, for the wages of sin is death. We see that in the Herods. We see that in the cycle of the Herodian dynasty. Second, we see this, but the free gift of God is eternal life. You know, there are two, two stories that we looked at. First, a disciple killed, James. And second, a disciple freed, Peter. Who got the better deal? Is there an answer, you know? Both of them were at complete peace in their circumstance. I guarantee you that when James was martyred, he went with great fervor declaring his belief in Christ, just like Stephen had done before him. Peter and James are both victorious in these circumstances. James, yes, he was martyred. But Peter, I mean, can you imagine again, he's there between jailers. He's seeing the same fate ahead of him just a few days ahead. And he is asleep. He's just resting. Like he knows that, hey, no big deal. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain, like Paul said. You can see that attitude in Peter. He's just at rest with what the Lord has for him. The reason he is at rest is because, is because the free gift of God is eternal life. He has set his hope not on things here, but things in the future, things of eternal value. So they're both victorious because they're walking in the eternal life that Christ has given. And I'd say to us that we have to have the same attitude about our lives as well. We have to have our eyes set on an eternal hope, not a, not a temporary satisfaction. The free gift of God is eternal life. We must walk in that just like Peter and James did. Finally, we see, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why is it that Herod was stuck and the church is advancing? Why is that? So they were on completely different battlefields. 
They're, they're, they're fighting completely separate battles, okay? Herod is completely consumed with what he sees in the natural and the threat that this new organization has to him. And the church is here, and they're completely focused on how they can continue to boldly declare the gospel of Jesus Christ to anyone they meet despite the circumstances. They, they don't care about the circumstances. They don't care that they might be killed. They don't care that one of theirs was just killed. Especially in the Jerusalem church, we saw many of the church, you know, when the perse- early persecution came, they were spread out all over the place. I think it's amazing that a church still exists, just stayed in Jerusalem. They're like, yeah, we're good. We'll just stay here. The Lord's protecting us, you know? And, uh, and so they did. But again, they weren't looking at their physical circumstances. They were looking at what God had called them to accomplish. That's preaching the gospel. And so we see that they are on two different battlefields. One is on a battlefield of the world, of the world and one is on a battlefield that the Lord has given in Christ Jesus. The church is fighting a different battle, a spiritual battle, a battle for hearts and souls as I was looking at this, this reminded me of uh, Ephesians 6, which you always go to when you're thinking about spiritual warfare and, and what the battlefield is in our lives. It's so encouraging to us. Again, Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 12, says, Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, Herod was fighting flesh and blood. He was fighting a physical threat to his political authority. But the church was fighting a battle of spiritual uh, significance. They were fighting against the cosmic powers, against the darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Those were the individuals that the church was standing against. They didn't care about the physical circumstances before them. They were faithful to what God had called them to do. So, leveling up, again, I titled this Level Up, but... um, Leveling up in life isn't about the accumulation of things, about protecting our own selves, just like, just like Herod did. Leveling up is about, um, is about finding Christ as your greatest treasure. The only way that we can move forward in our lives, that we can get to the next level, is that our lives will be focused on the eternal life that Christ has given us. The only things of value that last, that we can build up for ourselves, are things of eternal value the temporary things that the Herods have worked for and that we work for in our own hearts even, they pass away, they fade to dust, they crumble. But the things, the the spiritual battles that God has called us to to fight, to be victorious over, just like James and Peter and the church, are the things that will last forever, changed souls, lives transformed by the gospel. Those are the things that are eternal. When you try to level up through gaining stuff, it all just falls to dust in the end. But when your sights are set on eternal life available in Christ, you build up treasure that lasts. So let us be be people that that live by Romans 6.23, that know that for the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. 
eternal life in Christ Jesus. Eternal life doesn't start when we die. Eternal life starts when we place our faith in Jesus. Our life victorious in in Christ is when we place our faith in Christ. It begins now. Our relationship with him begins now. So we can live in that eternal reality even now. And I would say to you that Peter and James were ones that lived completely at peace with the circumstances around them because their eyes were set on eternal life and eternal reward. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its faithfulness to speak truth over our lives. God, we pray for forgiveness for when we spend our time on things that will pass away. And we, when we spend our time of things that aren't of value. God, we pray for forgiveness when we sin against you and sin against one another. When we hurt each other and hurt the things that you've created. We repent before you. We pray that you continue to transform our lives. God, I thank you that you began a work in each of us that you will complete on the day of Christ Jesus.